I'm Kurt Benkert, and this is Pocket Presence, powered by Sleeper. Happy Friday. Welcome back to another episode of Pocket Presence, where we have our first break in the action. Pro Bowl weekend coming up in Orlando. The Super Bowl stage is set, and now we get to really like dive into the nitty-gritty of what's happening, what landscape is changing, new coaches, new this and that, and then we're going to turn the page a little bit towards the draft prospects. So without further ado, Tyler, good morning. How are you, my friend? Good. Loving the new haircut. And we have a little bit of, of Packers defensive coordinator news. So maybe that was a good omen. Getting your haircut might have uh, might have led us to this new defensive coordinator. Yeah, dude. It was it was time for mullet season. And I think, look, like Packers needed a change. If it's if it's if I have to take even a half a percent of credit for initiating change, then I'll take mm. it. Um, still looking forward to my mustache growing back. Um, I probably it's probably a good time to tell the story of the the mullet um, and how all of this happened. So, <clears throat> for those of you that have been invested in my hair journey, I went in and I decided that I needed a change. So I went on Google or I went on Apple Maps, looked up barbershop, and then based on like name and location, I found a black barbershop because that's where I like to go. And I go, I drive 30 minutes. Um, It was one of the further ones, but I needed to get there, right? Like I I knew what I needed. I needed a, I needed a a really good job done. I go in and I tell the guy at the counter, like kind of what I'm looking to do, showed him some pictures, ended up being told it's a burst fade with a mullet. It's kind of the vibe. Okay. And he says like, okay, like, like we can totally do this. And then he points in the back, Ronaldo, come on. Ronaldo is the only Spanish person in the black barbershop. And mm. dude is like, he's faded as it. Like he's clean as shit. Like he's very well put together. Already has his gloves on. Like he's like, what's up? What do you need? Um, but it was Que Pasa. Like he did not speak any English. We mm. used a translator on his phone to communicate. And uh, he faded me up so clean, dude. Left me like a little action in the back too. Like, wow. Left me action in the back. <clears throat> but the the one mistake that he made was... He pointed at my face where, like, if you guys know, I pretty much have this, this, and this normally, like a little baby goatee. Um, pointed at my face and said, clean. And I was like, yeah, like, I think it looks pretty clean. Um, and he said, okay. Oh. And then he starts, like, shaving, like, the parts that I normally shave. And then he hits me with, like, a zzzm, And I'm like, and, but... It always grows back, but that was my experience. It was awesome. Ronaldo's the guy. He's my guy now, and I just need to communicate better. So that's how this all happened. So mullet yeah. season, baby, we're here. It looks great. Thank you. The, the, the experience of going to get a haircut is one of the most experiences, and I think especially for two white guys, yeah. I, I, always, I always talk like to anybody that's not a white guy, I talk to them about haircuts because I, I think it's a cultural thing where I go and get a haircut, and I don't feel like it looks great right when I leave. I feel like I need about a week for my hair to grow out before I really am feeling the haircut. Whereas, you know, I've talked to, to other people who are not white and they like the, the, the moment they step out of the barbershop is the best that their hair looks. And then it only looks worse. And I, I feel like you've kind of, you know, Ronaldo did you right. And I feel like the moment you stepped out, you were, you were looking good, which at least as a white guy, I find rare. Yeah, no, it's, it's definitely like, I, I feel very blessed to have found my guy and it Mm. was just like the universe, like the stars aligned, the moon, like I, I was supposed to be there that night. It was a knee-jerk reaction. I'm like, like Sam, like my wife's name is Sam. I'm like, Sam, I, like, I cannot do this anymore. I got to go. And she's like, fine. Like, she loved my long hair. Mm. But I will say, like, she may not admit that she loves the mullet, but she loves the mullet. And okay. we're here. We're back. Like, it's off-season, fresh start, clean, yeah. clean sides. Totally. Uh, business in the front, party in the back. It's go time. And we got a lot. I mean, we don't got a lot to get to today. We got some mailbag. We got some good stuff. But... Um, I'm excited to turn the page, man. I think as as NFL fans in general right now, I feel like the general thesis is, all right, look, Super Bowl set is what it is. Let's watch it. Last last hurrah. But then let's get to the action that's coming up because Combine's here, Senior Bowl's here. We've got a lot of good stuff, a lot of exciting things for teams that haven't had a lot to be excited about in about mm-hmm. a month. So I feel like this is the football nerd time of the year that we're transitioning into. We yeah. get, the, you know, I don't like to put a, a wall up in terms of NFL fandom. I think, you know, we'll talk about Taylor Swift a little bit later. Like I think there's a lot of that going on where people are holding the NFL a little too close to their chest and saying, this is only for me. But when you get to the NFL, 
you get a lot of casuals that come in and that's yeah. going to happen when over a hundred million people watch a game, but then you get out of the NFL and then that's where the true out football, of the Super Bowl, out of the Super Bowl, And yeah. that's when the true football hardos really come out. And I think that's where, uh, that's where we're going to shine. Yeah, dude, we're totally like, that's, that's going to be our bread and butter. I, like the thing that I'm most excited about is I've done a little bit of watching college football, but I've been so like, I've watched every single NFL game this year. I've like, <laughs> I've watched more football this year than I ever have in my playing career. One, I'm more available. Two, I'm not game planning and like prepping for our specific week's game plan. I've seen more ball. I've I've seen it all this year. I know the storylines, the narratives. I'm excited to like go and see the college guys and their highlights and what are their like ceilings, what are their floors, like what are the comps, who needs what, where can I see people fitting with scheme? And this is my first go around with it, but like in the past I've been pretty good at like pegging which quarterback I think is going to translate, who's going to do well like and then it does come down to situation but who has a chance. And I'm excited to see which guys I f- I feel like have the best chance depending on where they're drafted, what team and whatnot, and where they fit and like I feel like I get to experience the NFL from a like a super fan's perspective this go around. Um Yeah. So I'm excited. Love it. Well, we cannot go on without mentioning the fact that the Green Bay Packers have a new defensive coordinator, Jeff Halfley, the former head coach at Boston College, not necessarily a power five powerhouse, apparently a lifelong friend of Matt LaFleur, which already sends up some red flags for me. But what are what is your opinion of this hire? I know Packer fans are rejoicing that Joe Barry is out, but as we know, the defensive coordinator quickly becomes the most unpopular person in Green Bay about three weeks into the season. Yeah, so this is... I'm going to keep this, I'm going to keep this pretty simple. Um, so Boston college, they had their bowl game, right? This most recent bowl game. Let's see. I need to, I need to fact check this. Um, Boston college had a bowl game against SMU. Most recent, it was December 20 something. I just so happened to be degenerately gambling on this game. And I, I hit a live bet. I put a live bet on a ball. I watched the first half. I was a David Buster. I can put myself in this place. I was a David Buster with my daughter. And the, I walk in, and the game's on the TV, and I'm like, oh, there's games on right now. Whip open my phone as she's, like, playing a game. And I'm like, hmm, Boston College. I watched, like, the first half. Boston, it was a rain game, and Boston College, like, should have lost to SMU. But I saw that they were playing gritty. They were playing hard-nosed football. They weren't giving up easy shit. And, like, SMU was the ranked team. They were the better team. But Boston College was down by, like, three points at halftime or something stupid, and they were plus 450 odds to win the game only down three at halftime and they get the ball at half. And I'm like, you know what? Let me put some money on this game because I, I liked what I saw in that first half. They were a gritty team. They played hard. They tackled hard, like, and they didn't really have anything to play for. And they were still playing hard and they ended up winning that game. They beat SMU 23 to 14. I won money. I won plus four fifty in a live bet. And I'm like, I was, I was a pseudo like Boston college fan for the rest mm. of the month. And now he's going to green Bay. And the one thing that I saw when I was doing some research is that he's an aggressive play caller on defense. That Halfley is an aggressive play caller on defense. What have we been begging for all year long with Green Bay? I don't give a shit about anything else. You could blow coverages. You could have blown play calls, blown all of it. You're at least going to be aggressive in doing it. You're not going to die by like death of a thousand cuts. And I think that's what Green Bay needs right now more than anything. They need like a Brian Flores type of guy. They need a guy that's willing to risk it to get the biscuit. And I th- From what I understand and what I know, what I've seen with Boston College, what he's done in his past career, and what people are saying about him, he's aggressive, and I think the Packers need that right now. And it may not be the cleanest thing of, of all time. Who knows what type of hire he's going to be, but that got me excited. The word aggression. Holy shit. Defense and aggression gets me, gets me you know, a little excited. I totally agree. What, what do you make of this trend that the NFL is clearly shifting towards younger coaches? I mean, Halfley is just 44 years old. Obviously, LaFleur is one of the younger coaches. We saw the Seahawks hire McDonald, who was notably half the age of Pete Carroll, whom he replaced. What is it about these young guys that you think are making a big splash for you know these new positions? Dude, I think what it comes down to is a lot of them do know how to relate to the players a little bit better. I think sometimes like right, wrong, or indifferent, if you get a coach that's a lot older, who's been around for 30 plus years, like the NFL has changed a lot in 30 years. The type of guys that you're dealing with have changed. The dynamics of like coach to player have changed a lot in 30 years. And I think sometimes older guys just get stuck in the past. Um, What I think you're seeing is younger coaches being able to relate to the players a little bit more. Um, You're seeing the willingness to adapt scheme, 
to adapt to a different play style. A new the, the NFL now is a new game. Like it is, it is way more like college than it was like old school NFL. And I think that you need some different perspective. You need some younger, you know, fresh eyes on things from time to time. And I think that's what you're seeing right now throughout the NFL. Um, just like in college, you're seeing older coaches retire a little bit earlier than you'd expect and like kind of have to shift up what they're doing. The NIL stuff has changed. The type of players that you're dealing with have changed and the dynamics and like the power struggles have changed. So all across the board, I feel like the game's getting younger and it's having to adapt. And I think one thing that people need to realize too is when you get a coach from college that goes to the NFL, sometimes it's it's a huge benefit because he knows how to speak to and how to get those younger guys acclimated quicker versus sometimes you get stuck with like a vet team with young guys and like the coaches don't slow things down to let those young guys catch up. And I've been a part of both of it where schemes have changed to adjust for younger guys and their success. And there's, Hey, younger guys like play catch up as quick as you can, but we're rolling. And offensively, especially offensively, I know there's a defensive conversation, but that matters offensively. So I'd imagine it matters defensively as well. Yeah, and what do we know about the Green Bay Packers, especially on the defensive side of the ball? Youngest team in NFL history to make the playoffs, a very young core on both sides of the ball, and I could see the yeah. benefit of a young coach coming in and understanding that youth. Yeah, and I mean, if you look around the league, there's there's no like mistake that the Packers have the youngest team and definitely the youngest receiving core in the league, and they were able to be the most impactful like as a group. There was not one stud. There were studs that showed up like – at different spans in the season, but as a collective group, they all carried their own weight differently. And I think you saw that in the second half of the year because of the way that one, they were able to progress two, the extra time that Jordan put in with them. And three, the positions that LaFleur was putting them in, in the second half of the season versus the first half, like he adjusted, like he, he had a really good second half of the year as a coach. And I just think in general, like there's, there's something to be said about being able to take a group of young guys that have never done it, have no experience and they're one of the better receiving groups in the league this year, statistically. Completely agree. We're going to transition into the mailbag. That's a, a really good transition to our first question. Uh, we do these from time to time on at pocket underscore presence on Twitter. Make sure to follow us there. How can Lafleur and Gutekind set Halfley up for success in his first year? Yeah, so I, I'm still waiting to see like the actual reports of scheme-wise. I know that he's traditionally a 4-3 defensive coordinator from what I read. Um Right now, for those of you that don't know, so a 4-3 defense is like, that's what the 49ers run. They have four down linemen in the game at all points in time, most of the time. Um, and then they have three linebackers. And then when they go into nickel, which is like the passing down situations, trying to match 11 personnel, they still keep four down linemen. Then they bring in a DB and sub out a linebacker. So personnel-wise, I think that is a big change, and that creates different um, holes or different things that need to be addressed player wise. So for instance, in a four, three defense, it's more important to have linebackers that can cover, um, in my opinion, versus like in a three, four defense, you have bigger linebackers that also play DN. So like Preston Smith, for instance, is considered a linebacker on paper, but in a four, three defense, he'd be considered a DN. And so you get into this game of like, numbers wise and building the defense and like they have to if they're going four three they have to reevaluate how they structure the defensive side of the ball you need thicker d tackles um because there's different it's such a it's such a specific way that they run defense there's a nose tackle in a three four defense there's two regular defensive tackles and then there's four linebackers so like the inside three guys are a little thicker where in a four three which i believe the packers are going to go to yet to be confirmed you need two defensive tackles and then two defensive ends. The defensive ends are more built like Bosa and like Chase Young. Like Preston Smith can do it. Rashawn Gary can do it. Like those guys in passing downs are defensive ends. So you start looking at the safety position a little bit differently. You start looking at the linebacker position a little bit differently. In a 4-3 defense, versatility matters a lot more, I believe, than in a 3-4, which the Packers used to be. You could just sub in a different guy depending on the situation. So... I think that this should solve a lot of the communication issues because there's less variables in a defensive mm -hmm. front. And if you look at this from the offensive side, it is, it is a lot harder to prepare on the offense for a 3-4 defense, three down linemen, four linebackers, because it messes up your rules. But if you can get your rules right, it's an easier defense to attack. 
So that's why people struggle so much with the 49ers when they're playing well in defense because they have four guys that can get – they have four defensive linemen. They can get pressure without blitzing, and it leaves an extra person in coverage. So I know there's a long-winded way to say, like, they have to get the personnel right, and they have to make sure the roster gets caught up to a 4-3 as quick as possible, um, assuming that they're going to switch to that, which I, that's, that's kind of been my thing. I've been begging for them to leave that 3-4 shell. So hopefully they go 4-3, they start loading up, give them a little bit of time to, like, get the right guys in the room and the right guys on the defense because I think in the long run – that's the way the league is going back towards. Okay, before we move on to the rest of the mailbag, we're recording this on Thursday, and we just found out that Dan Quinn got hired by Washington. It is the last head coaching vacancy to be filled. Dan Quinn sort of seems like this last option. Interestingly, Ben Johnson declined the job, deciding to stay in Detroit for another year as their OC. What do you make of that whole situation in Washington? So Washington, right, new ownership. The roster's kind of depleted. They they're in a rebuild for sure. They do have some pieces, um, but they traded away everything, so they should have picks, right? They they should have a decent amount of draft picks. We'll have to go back and look and see exactly what they're working with. But more so than anything, the Commanders needed a culture reset, and there is nobody better in the NFL, in my opinion, that I've been around than Dan Quinn when it comes to establishing culture and getting guys to play hard for each other. And he comes from a college background. He has also been in the NFL for a really long time. So he has a good blend of both. Like we were talking about, like being able to connect with the younger guys, like he is so with it. His defense led the league, I think in turnovers, takeaways, all that good stuff. Like they were, they were one of the top defenses, at least doing that. And now you're going into a division where you're already familiar with those guys. You've played against the giants twice a year. You've played against the Eagles twice a year. You coached for the Cowboys. You're going to play them twice a year. So having six games on that schedule for him that are very familiar, I believe. Um, and I know coordinators wise with Eagles will be a little different, but personnel wise, I think that gives him a little bit of a jump start on what that whole rebuild process will look like and will allow them to get competitive earlier. Um, but don't get it wrong. Like he's got to tame Howell at quarterback from stopping the turnovers. They've got to establish a good scheme on defense. They got to get the right pieces in. Like they got work to do, but Dan Quinn is a guy that you can trust to lead that ship. I want you to po- put your coach Kurt hat on for a second. You have Ben Johnson deciding to return back to Detroit. What goes into a decision? There's only 32 of these head coaching jobs. Ben Johnson's now been up for two different head coaching cycles after having a great year last year, the back half with the Lions. Why would you turn down a job like this, especially since you mentioned Sam Howell? He's been playing well, but Washington has the number two overall pick. So you think if you're Ben Johnson, you can come in, have some influence over the quarterback that you pick. There's a new owner willing to spend money. It seems like even though it's a blank slate, stripped down team, it's still a pretty good opportunity. Yeah, so what I'm looking at with somebody like Ben Johnson is he needs personnel for his scheme to work, for his stuff to work. Like, he needs he needs guys, right? Like, that is very important, especially as an offensive play caller. <clears throat> like, you got to find a way to have guys that can get the ball, that can make plays, and he knows that more than anyone. They have guys in Detroit. They have studs. I think that you're looking at like longevity of like, what do you want to do? And if you're Ben Johnson, like he's not going to get the same grace period. I believe that Dan Quinn will Dan Quinn's done it. He's rebuilt a team. He's brought him to a super bowl. He has now one of the best defenses in the league with the Cowboys that he just left. I think he has a little more like room for error and a little more time to get this right because he's a trusted person like that, where you could look at Ben Johnson and with the lack of experience as a head coach could just say like, oh, he just had dudes in Detroit. Yeah, he's a good play caller, but like, can he lead the guys? Can he build the franchise? And calling plays is a lot different than running a franchise. Um, <clears throat> I think for Ben Johnson, he's probably looking ahead to next year's coaching cycle and seeing who might be on the hot seat next year. And maybe some of those roster situations are a little bit more favorable than what he'd be dealing with with the commanders. So that's the way that I look at it. I think Dan Quinn's more up for the task of like doing something like that. That's going to be hard. It's going to be a hard job in, with the commanders. Like they're fighting an uphill battle, but um, if I'm Ben Johnson, I probably think the same thing of like, man, that's probably for a guy more like Dan Quinn than for me. Like, <clears throat> I don't know, go somewhere that has some star players, some star receivers that just kind of needs more um, detailed guidance, because that's what I think you're going to be running up into the next few years. Like, some of these coaches that have been like mid mid run of the way like run of the mill coaches in my opinion uh, record wise that have decent rosters I think Ben Johnson can go elevate a decent roster. Sure. One more coaching question I want to ask you. Yeah. We now have 
Belichick, Vrabel, Pete Carroll, all three really well-renowned coaches left without a job in this coaching carousel. How much of that do you think is what you just described? They didn't like the situations out there. They decided yeah. to hold back and look to next year. And how much of it is maybe some of these guys, especially Carroll and Belichick, are a little older and teams just weren't looking in their direction? Yeah, dude, I, I'm not going to lie. Um, <clears throat> I think that the NFL is getting younger. And just because you were good at something for a really long time, like I think sometimes coaches get more credit than they deserve, and sometimes they don't get enough credit, right? And I think you look at the New England situation with Belichick, like defensively, one of the best ever, like consistently. Offensively and running the whole ship, in the last few years, like if you started blank from when Tom Brady left to now, you would not say he did a good job. Like if, if that was his first year coaching the Patriots of when Brady left, you would never like you would ask how does this how does he have a job right not knowing what he did in his past um and that's not to say that like i don't think he's a hell of a coach and could do it again but the theme of winning right now and finding success right now has typically been a younger coached theme mm -hmm. and that's just that's just the way it's going and i also think like belichick has more value to add <clears throat> to the sport maybe on tv right now unless something else comes up. Like I would love to listen to him talk about a game. Like you, you look at guys like Tony Romo and like everyone loved Tony Romo when he got on TV for the first time. Cause you're like, <laughs> Holy shit. We've never heard this guy talk about football like this. Like this guy knows so much. And I'm like, imagine if we got to listen to Belichick, like talk about a game, right? Like, and really open up. Cause he's never done that publicly. We don't even know what side of him that we've never seen before exists and how valuable he could be to that area of the, the game. So I don't know. I just think sometimes change is good and taking a year off is good. <clears throat> I took I mean, I, this is my first year off in football and I have a different appreciation for it. Um, I love this side of it. I think it's been a lot of fun and I'm getting a different perspective. And sometimes your value as a coach rises. I'd imagine if you take a year off, like yeah. Belichick, a year removed from a really, really bad season, his worst season as a, as a Patriots coach, he probably has a more favorable uh, perception next year yeah, look at after not coming off of a horrible season. Right. Exactly. Yeah, like give, just let it let it rest a little bit. When people are desperate and like feel like you can just spark, like spark plug them. Yeah, I completely agree. Okay, back to the mailbag. Listener asked, "What does Kurt miss most about being on an NFL roster?" Oh man, it's the locker room, dude. It's like being around the guys, like joking with the guys. Um, I just i I had so much fun just being around everyone, and like I feel like most people enjoyed my company and. Uh, just like our interaction and stuff. So I think with the role that I had for most of the teams that I was on as the third quarterback, you have like a, like a almost a responsibility to like bring a little juice and a little bit of life to the room. Cause you're not the one or the two that has to be as ready. Like I was always ready, but I also was like, Hey, we don't want a third around. That's not going to be fun to be around. And I miss being that guy for the guys in the room and knowing that they appreciated that too. Sure. A great question that came in just before we started recording. With QB performance down across the league, how do you see teams adjusting to defenses? I honestly, you know what? I think they're going to look at Shanahan's second half of the last two playoff games, and they're going to see what did they do at halftime differently in the second half and first half. And a lot of it, like you look at Brock Purdy, they started spreading it out. They started getting more like space for him so he could create. And a lot of these quarterbacks that are young coming from college – most of them have checked the boxes to get here because they are able to create plays with their feet, whether it be running the ball or whether it be like scrambling to throw. And I think sometimes quarterbacks get restricted in NFL schemes and with play calling by having seven to eight guys in protection with two or three man routes and doing a bunch of under center and deep play fakes. Like Brock in this second game looked like an entirely different quarterback in the second half versus first half. And most of it came down to like, the freedom to create and make plays outside of that specific system and the specific timing. Um, and I think, look, these quarterbacks, if they're, if they're in the NFL, they're talented, no matter what, like, no matter what way you want to like shape that. Um, and I think giving them the freedom to use their talent and like their natural ability a little bit more getting away from the scheme slightly more, I think could be something that benefits some of these young guys. Um, Cause I think at the end of the day, like, People want to win Super Bowls. I think winning games is good. Like winning, making it to the playoffs is good. But you look at like the Dolphins, like they had to operate within the scheme the entire year. And if it was good, it was really good. If it was bad, it looked ugly. And there was no like really like off schedule 
happening mm. with them. Um, and I think that will be a little bit more encouraged. So do you think it's more of a function of offenses being restrictive to their quarterbacks and not so much defenses catching up to offenses? Because it seems like the, the NFL exists in this pendulum where for a while, the last 10 years, it was yeah. really offensive leaning. And now in the past couple of years, you see scoring down, maybe indicating that defense has caught up to the offense. But you seem to think that offenses are restricting themselves more than it's defense is stopping. That. Yeah, my my philosophy and like my thought process on this is defensive players like athletically have caught up to offensive players for a long time. You had every kid in, in the world wanted to be a receiver and the receivers on average, like the best receivers, the, the top 20 receivers were way better than the top 20 corners in the league. Like for a long time in the NFL, like there were only a few top dog corners. Like when Revis was there, like a few of those guys. Now you're seeing like a lot of teams have a guy like that. And the talent of the NFL on defense is catching up to the talent on offense. And so now I feel like for the longest time you were able to exploit the one-on-one matchups. You were able to exploit like scheming up guys that get open a lot more often than not, because you didn't have to account for this freak of nature linebacker or freak of nature safety that can play in the run scheme and also cover like a four, six, four, five tight end. Like these, these guys are catching up. Like we used to think that in my opinion, tight ends were like the unicorns guys that could block, that could run, that could hit. Well, they have the reverse of those on defense now with the linebackers that can also cover like DBs and also mm. fill like defense events, right? Like these guys exist. Micah Parsons, those types of guys are new. And I think what the NFL is going to have to get to, which I think the teams that are doing the best right now have this, is allowing their players <clears throat> the ability to play off schedule. Um, there was a great interview um, on the Kay Adams show with Luke Keekley, I believe it was, talking about Travis Kelsey and Mahomes and what they do off schedule that has made them so great. And that all comes from the ability from the coach to green light that. Like, hey, you guys go do you. We're going to draw this up, but like at the end of the day, you do you. You got the ball, you got to catch it, go get open. And he talked about like specifically when Kelsey runs routes, might be like a through route drawn on paper. We run up 10 yards break across you got to get to a second window it's kind of like a short post Kelsey when he runs those if it's in a certain timing if he sees the linebacker take his eyes off of him and overplay into his own he will just stop in his route and stay in the soft void and Pat knows that and Pat plays to that and as soon as Pat sees that the linebacker's eyes are off of Kelsey and on Pat they're on the same page to know he doesn't have eyes on Kelsey anymore I can take advantage of this in a different way than it's drawn up that's what makes them so special, and that's why they keep winning in the playoffs, even though it doesn't look perfect. And in my opinion, should it take like five Super Bowl appearances or whatever the hell it is to be able to get to that point where the coach is greenlighting it? Because mm-hmm. at the end of the day, when players are the most comfortable, they're going to play the best. And so this like feeling things out and having to get to the point where you're like, yes, like you can do that. Like I'm the coach. I'm saying you as a player, go do that. I trust you. Um, I think – Younger guys got to find a way to earn the trust quicker so that they can get to that point because that's a that's a cheat code. Like it, it really is. Do you think coaches are not willing to turn that trust over so soon because they're afraid of their own job? Like if something goes bad, then it's their ass on the line rather than the players? I believe so. I think it's part that it's part like coaches really, really want to – most coaches want to feel like they're playing Madden when they're calling plays, for real. Like they, they want to be able to predict what the quarterback's going to do. They want to – know where the ball is going to go. They want to know the timing of it. They want, to, they want to account for as much as possible in the play that they can. And when good things happen off schedule, that's just like a bonus. Where like some teams, in my opinion, to get over the hump, need to live in that off schedule a little bit more because everyone's freaking good, man. All the defenses, regardless of how good statistically they are, they have good players. They have freak athletes. Like I don't believe it's like the old days where you could scheme up uh, – oh my God, they're running cover three. We're going to rip this seam ball on your hitch, on your third and a hitch because we know our tight end is going to beat this linebacker. Where now like that mismatch does exist, but it's not to the same like level of a mismatch as it used to be for a lot of teams. Like def- sure. defenses are catching up, but it's not even schematically. It's like their talent level is catching up across the board. Yeah, I mean, I thought that conversation we had with Brandon Ross was just so eye-opening as you guys were talking about all the athletes that are cropping up on the defensive side of the ball. And I I think that's probably exactly it. It's just like for a while, these offenses started to look different and defense had to play catch up. And now maybe offenses have to play catch up to defense or at the very least try to get back a couple steps ahead. Like they were 
you know, 10 years ago. Yeah. You know, I think it's, this reminds me of like the conversation of like basketball where like, what do you want? Do you want dudes that can ball or do you want to be like the old school Spurs where like everything's super methodical? And I think there's a time where like you do need to be methodical, but then there's a time where like, dude, we got better players than you. Like, let's not overthink this shit because we have better players than you. Let's go just find a way to get our, our players in space and let them do things that they know they're going to be successful at. And I'm telling you, if Travis Kelsey did not have the ability to go off schedule and like run his own routes off of what he believes to be like the better way to run them versus coverage and had to run them like a rookie that has to like run it like it's drawn on a piece of paper, he wouldn't be the player he is today. And that comes with trust. It comes with making plays that you have to make. And I just think over time that evolves. So now like if Kelsey went into a different system with a different coaching staff, different whatever, like a different whole situation, it would be a little weird at first. Mm. Like the way that they play football, I feel like I'm watching like like the Warriors where you're like as a kid, you're taught you don't pull up from like four feet behind the three-point line. But like for the Warriors, that shit works. Like most, you know what I mean? So yeah. in that's kind of I think what we're dealing with in the NFL is – players that are just really damn good at what they do and they're like doing better than I believe what they're being asked to do for coaching. Totally. On to the next question. Listener wants to know, Kurt, if you're excited for the UFL. So for people who don't know the USFL and the XFL two spring football leagues last year merged this off season to form the UFL. And I believe they'll be starting up again in the spring. How do you feel about the new league? Yeah, I I'm excited to watch it play out. I think it's a nice, like, it's a nice like appetizer to NFL being gone. I think it's like nice to watch some football. I think more so than anything, I like to see like what players are gonna make some plays, be guys, make like you get some cool highlights out of those leagues. Um, for my experience in playing it for eleven days uh, before <laughs> I broke my ribs, um, it's schematically kind of tough because it's very it's a very high school scheme. Like you don't even have the amount of time that it's a spring league, even though they call it a regular. League. It's a spring league. You don't have much time you're putting in a handful of plays like it's not a full developed like so i think it's very similar like you have to judge guys like at the senior bowl based on like talent and like what can they do versus like their whole body of work in the league because they're not like dialing shit up they're not like attacking coverages or like it's it's very much a display of talent more so than it is can this guy operate in a scheme can he do this that the other like some teams get to that point where like aj mccarron last year he had ended up playing the whole year, didn't get injured. A lot of these leagues have a lot of injuries. They have a lot of people missing, rotating parts. Like, it's very thrown together. Um, but mm -hmm. you do have a team or two that finds a way to stay healthy, and they have, like, really good staff and all that good stuff. So um, I would say watch the league with a grain of salt. I'm excited to watch it. I think you'll see some players that pop up in it, make some plays, find their way back to the NFL. Um, but, yeah, I think it's a good appetizer to the NFL season. What do you think is the best case scenario for a league like the UFL? I've long thought that at some point we're going to have some affiliated UFL to NFL pipeline where mm -hmm. maybe we have, it's like the minor leagues of professional football. It seems like the NFL is very supportive of the <clears throat> UFL existing, and I could see for a lot of the same reasons why. Yeah. But what do you think is like the best version of a spring football league? I think the best version of a spring football league is something that doesn't feel too serious and doesn't feel like the – like most strict job interview of all time for those guys where it's like fun and entertainment. I think that's the best because at the end of the day, like when you're being scouted from one of those things, you're not really being scouted on like you're being scouted on talent. Like, can this guy operate? Can he go function in a game situation? Can he make plays off schedule? Can he make the throws he needs to make as a quarterback? Like, can he make people miss? What are their physical, what's their physical makeup on display in a game situation? That's all that they're doing because they can't – like scouts don't know what the coaching is. They don't know what the play call is. They don't know how the receivers are being coached to run the routes. Like they don't, they don't know any of that. So all of it is to be watched with somewhat of a blind eye and to see like, all right, if we were to take this guy and plug him into our system, what could he look like? So knowing that that's what scouts and like, like other people are looking for, I think it should be based on entertainment. These guys get paid to play football, go have fun, go make social media moments, go like – create some rah-rah, like make it fun. And I think that's mm -hmm. what fans want because that's what the fans want more of out of the NFL. And I think that's how these leagues can thrive. Like seeing somebody like chug a beer at the end of the game, like after, you know what I mean? Like that type of yeah. stuff that I've seen in the past, it's awesome. Like it's, it's fun stuff to watch. And I think it's like a nice 
um, more like refreshing form of football. Yeah, I don't think the sport of baseball gets enough credit for this, but in America, there's a bunch of independent baseball leagues where they're, they're not affiliated with MLB. They're, MLB has no jurisdiction over what they do, what rules they implement, although that's changed a bit recently. And so you have some of the best innovation in terms of marketing, Savannah, but entertainment. Yeah, exactly. And I think the game of baseball as a whole gets pushed forward because the MLB looks down and sees how... Yep. You know, how, how these independent leagues are marketing their games and getting fans to come out. And you even have instances where they're testing, you know, they're working collaboration with MLB to test new rules, things like putting the mound further back or making bases bigger or a pitch yeah. clock or robo umpires. Like these are all rules that were started they in these it. independent leagues. Right. And so yeah, I, I just think that in order for the game of football to move forward, which I think is something that we all want from it, you know, you talk about like a ref standpoint, things like onside kicks, like different rule changes, or even just how to better engage with fans and how to better market the game. I think there needs to be a space that's less serious than college football or the NFL for those sorts of things to be developed. And I think it would better the game as a whole, whether or not the NFL is directly involved in making it happen. I love that. I think that's a great take. And I do think like <clears throat> allow, like if, if the NFL leaned into these leagues to being like their sandbox for like what could be, that's a win outside mm -hmm. of just player development, get players getting other chances, getting TV deals, whatever, like just, test things that you've always thought about like and apply them in this league and then see if you might want to apply it in the nfl and make the game better it's a great point if you want a real tinfoil hat and i don't even think this is so much a conspiracy as much as it is like what i think is going to happen i think there's a point where the nfl says you know what we want to be a year-round league and if you affiliated any of these ufl teams let's just say you know it was like the cleveland cleveland browns minor league team like you don't yeah. think at least 10% of Cleveland Browns fans would get up for this league a little bit more than they already are. And yeah, now you have players like <clears throat> that are on the practice squad that can come and actually get live game reps. And there's some sort of story or narrative you can build around like, hey, we have a 53-man roster that we root for in the fall. But then we also just doubled that. And there's 53 more guys that we know are getting marketed by the team yeah. and you know are like stories we can root for. And for teams in the offseason, why wouldn't they do that? From <laughs> the time your team's eliminated from the playoffs or playoff contention up until August. I mean, these teams are struggling for content and yeah. the fact that they get a whole nother season to build guys up, develop really compelling narratives and then build momentum into the fall. That would be huge. Yeah. That'd be really cool. Like there's definitely a way to do that. I think the fans dude, you see that right now, like some of these NFL teams or like organizations are creating like esport teams, right? Like, like mm -hmm. Dallas has complexity um, and like they're all affiliated together and they like do different things. And like, people that might not even like esports like will like somehow wander into like being complexity fans or something like a moment happens a viral moment happens whatever if you couldn't tell me that if the packers didn't have a, like a practice squad team or like a, a b league team that played eight games in yes. spring that that stadium would not probably sell out like it it would i know like, to, I to be able to watch like they got what sean clifford now their backup quarterback and again, like probably not even guys like that. He's number two. You'd have to get a number three and a number four guy. But like you could have that 80 or 90 man roster in preseason, pull them along longer throughout the season. And I guarantee you that their salaries would be paid for from the revenue of those like eight to 10 games that they would play after the season's over. 100%. And I'll take it a step further. The way that MLB does spring training in, you know, southern, the, the southern states. Yeah. The NFL is always trying to expand its markets into other areas. And so the reason the UFL is in places like San Antonio is because there's not an NFL team in San Antonio. And so if the NFL wants to test out these different markets or at least be more more relevant in certain markets, why not give Green Bay, I'll just use San Antonio again, for instance, where it's like, you know, Green Bay, you now get marketing rights to San Antonio. You can play your spring games down there. You build a fan base in a different part of the country. And also you get to showcase, you know, a whole nother sect of players that you can you know, maybe there's a, a feel good story in there that you can build in to the fall. Yeah, dude. And you know, it's the NFL is a, a mass media company with, a, with totally. a football product. Like that's, that's the, the real of it. And the storylines, like you, you look at Taylor Swift and her storyline with like how much like uh, perceived value she's added to the Kansas city chiefs organization valuation. It's like yeah. what? $360 million or something like that. Yeah. Like you couldn't tell me you couldn't get another 10 to $30 million out of some good storylines in the spring when there's nothing going on. And you don't even have to risk, like you wouldn't even have to risk players like that are second or even third string guys. If you didn't want to, 
like you could go and get like another subsidiary type team of fourth, fifth, sixth stringers even, which don't really exist in the NFL because the rosters aren't that deep. But imagine, imagine if you carried 80, 90, and now you just get more ball, same uniforms, same logos, all that good mm-hmm. stuff, and it's just an extension. Um, and it's it's a development, like a real development league. But um, I know they're trying to accomplish that with the UFL, and then they break it off by like, you know, like lead, like the team names, the ownership and all that stuff. But I'm like, the hardest thing to do in anything, in my opinion, is to build a media following and to build like a brand. Like a brand building is hard. But once you have it, like you have it. And it's so powerful. It's so powerful. Like people will buy anything affiliated with that. They'll watch anything affiliated with it. So why not milk it out to the, for the whole year? And like I could totally see that happening. Or at least like give give us like the most historic teams to do it, right? Give yeah. us the Packers, the Niners, the Cowboys, like Eagles. Give us like twelve teams to pilot it. Like that'd be so know. cool. That'd be sick. That'd be so cool. I I think a, a great step forward for this concept is the fact that there was some unification between the XFL and the USFL. Like the idea now that there's a single entity. I mean, you could yeah. go and there is a road littered with the dead bodies of failed spring football leagues. I mean, yeah. you have the AAF, the the USFL all the way back in the 90s when yeah. Donald Trump went to the Supreme Court to sue the NFL for a monopoly and they granted the USFL is like, you're right, the NFL has a monopoly and your damages are $1. And so Donald Trump basically bankrupts this league because yeah. they fought this lawsuit that the Supreme Court agreed with, but they said, go do something about it. Your damages are only a dollar. So I, I think the idea that there's now this more unified front is, is yeah. really powerful. Something you, know, you brought up. So, I was, was going to say one more thing about that. Like, even if you just look at it in general, like if NFL teams decide to do anything, anything at all in business, it's probably going to be successful because you have a launch pad already <laughs> yeah. of fans that are waiting for anything else you're willing to do. Mm-hmm. Case in point. Imagine if you had like an off season Madden league that was like an official like Madden league where one player from your team represents your team and there's a tournament. Like I guarantee you fans would be excited and tune in to see who was the best Madden player from each team to go and play in a tournament that like there's something at stake, right? Like there's, there's in the Madden world, I believe the there's two or three different times where they, they have the biggest spike of downloads. It's at launch at Christmas and right when the NFL season ends. When the NFL season ends, there's a massive downloads of Madden and repurchases and new buys or whatever because people are just fiending for football. And there's just there's so much opportunity to be taken in all of this um, that I think teams are figuring out. And they're starting with social media, but it's going to yeah. lead to other things. One final point on this that I want to make. If you look at minor league baseball and the MLB, minor league baseball is worth about a tenth of what the MLB is worth. So in a year, MLB will do about $10 billion in revenue. In a year, minor league baseball will do about a billion dollars in revenue. If you apply that back of the napkin math to the NFL, which does close to $20 million a year, if you took even a tenth of $20 billion a year, if you took even a tenth of that, you're talking about a $2 billion business. And that's just really there. not half bad just sitting there and, and that's and that and that's during a time where you're not replacing much anyway like yeah. what does the nfl have going on in the spring anyway that it would be replacing with a really healthy two billion dollar business so yeah. i think it makes too much financial sense i'll be curious to see how that shakes out how, one how much does the nfl grow year over year they it's it's incremental so it's like about by a billion dollars every year um which it has be been 5%. for the last five years about five percent every year which and, and i'm sure and that's revenue. So I'm, I'm sure it'll grow anywhere from like 5 to 8%. I can imagine that they match hey, the S&P pretty closely. A little 10% bump year one. 10% bump year one on, on, a, on a league would not be half bad. Cause I, I like, don't think so. The chances of, that's the thing though, is like, what would it take for the UFL to get to be a $2 billion business? Like eternity, probably? Like it yeah. would take a really long time, mainly because of the media power behind the NFL that they already have. Like it's one of those things that when you have that, that content engine, that media machine, you can just branch off and start anything like just just branch off branch off and it's instant launch pad for anything you want to do yeah i think an interesting case study in the ufl will be destroying who just signed to the brahmas is that that yep. team I don't, I don't know what a brahma yep. is what do you make it like i'm curious of your perspective kurt from a, as a content creator like mm-hmm. how do you think destroying is thinking about this and how do you think the ufl can wrap their arms around the story that i'm sure destroying is going to tell for himself yeah, so this is like 
one, this is where I believe all of everything is going to be going in the future. So I'm actually going, I'm driving to Orlando tomorrow morning to go throw at an event with destroying. Um, he's hosting like a one-on-one at the Orlando location for the pro bowl, 50 of the best high school athletes in the, in the country competing for $50,000. He has sponsors that attach to that. He has an editing team. He has this whole group. They have a whole business around it. And he makes money from the views of the videos on YouTube plus sponsor dollars, right? So mm-hmm. like there's that's one one just little piece that he does. He has those all over the country. He's amassed a huge following. Now he takes all of what he's doing off the field, brings it into this, I would call it it's gonna end up being like a series, like his NFL, road to the NFL. He wants to get to the NFL, that's his goal. He knows that the UFL for him and his situation is the best chance for him to make it happen, get to kick in live situations, live games. They're allowing him to vlog all of it, to record all of it because what are you going to tell him? You're going to tell him, okay, you can come make a hundred, two hundred thousand dollars playing for us this year, um, and we're not going to allow you to do something that makes you ten, twenty, thirty times that in a year. Mm-hmm. No, they they are oh, they are hoping that he comes in place for them because what he brings in value to their media operation is worth way more than anything he could do making kicks for a team in a game. That's not what it's about. Like his same thing with Taylor Swift, the perceived media value, perceived valuation of the company goes up when you have more eyeballs on it. That's just how it goes nowadays. And so getting a guy like this to go play in the UFL is just as much a win for him because he has a goal of making it back to the NFL as it is for the league to get a star-studded person in the media world to just bring more eyeballs and more storylines to it. Because at the end of the day, the UFL is going to go sell the fact that he's in the league to a sponsor to make more money. Yes. That's how it goes. So like, he's making the UFL way more money perceived media value wise than they are ever going to pay him in a check that hits direct deposit in his bank account from playing. Same thing. Like same thing. You look at Pat Mahomes, right? Patrick Mahomes yearly uh, contract. Was it $50 million a year? Something like that. Yes. Patrick Mahomes brings a lot more than $50 million a year worth to the chiefs. Like way more. That's why these quarterbacks get paid so much money. It's not even about what they do on the field. It's like, what do they bring to the city, to the valuation? Like it's a business decision, not just, a can you play football so yeah and you can make the argument that for a league like the ufl having an individual like destroying in the league is just even more benefit you know of course they'd love to have patrick mahomes but having somebody to be there to tell the story and to have fans that now come to the league with some context and a story to root for is really important because you and i couldn't sit here and talk about the history of the baramas but we do come with some context of destroying his journey and what brought him here. And we have a narrative and a story and a person to root for. Yeah. And now just imagine destroying. You're in a game, fourth quarter, 24-24, your team drives down, and you're sitting there with three seconds left, and it's on destroying to hit a 45-yard game-winning field goal. Mm. That's the context. That's the context. And if he hits it, that's going on his TikTok. That's going on his YouTube. The whole preparation of the day is going on his YouTube that YouTube video will make him way more money than his check from the UFL will. I yeah. promise you that. And that, like, that is where sports is going. And it's taking some coaches' time to catch up and realize that's where it's going. It's taking teams. It's taking, it's taking a lot of people time to realize that's the direction that all of this is going. But at the end of the day, like, I, I look at it this way. If the games weren't televised, weren't on TV, if the leagues weren't getting paid from these networks to put on, like, to have these games on TV, where would the coaches' salaries be coming from, right? If the teams in the NFL wasn't making money through views, through licensing, through all this, the coaches wouldn't have jobs because the product wouldn't be valuable, right? Like, at the end of the day, everything comes back to the business side of this. Mm-hmm. If it's making money, they're going to invest back into it. If it's losing money, they're not. So, like, I just think we're going through a massive shift of like perceived value and like who really has the leverage in a lot of these conversations and a lot of these things that go on that is a little bit uncomfortable for coaches. And that's why you see some coaches retiring because NIL is popping up and players are realizing and they're realizing in their minds and in their bank accounts, how much value they bring to operations. And that's just this whole, like we're in such a unique time. Because the old way of doing it and the new way of doing it is coming to a head. And the new way is not going to be stopped. So it's just like, how quickly can you adapt? And this destroying thing is just like, you can't tell me that like if destroying didn't go to an NFL. This is the thing. If destroying kills it in the UFL and he goes and he gets a preseason shot, preseason shot with an NFL team. 
that he's not going to sell jerseys, not going to get views, and he's not going to make preseason even more exciting for the NFL for whatever team he's on because people are going to be following along with that. He's just one person, right? Like those types of things where like as an owner, like the coaches may not love the attention, but as an owner, if I was the owner of a team, I'd want someone like that on my team because it's going to lead to more sales, more visibility, more this, more that. Like that's what I'm looking at. Like, yeah. Are there questionable kickers out there that maybe shouldn't have jobs? Yeah. Are they equal to destroying, if not maybe slightly better? Maybe. But like, I would rather have destroying from a business perspective because fuck it, he might miss a kick or two, but he's going to sell more jerseys and he's going (laughs) to get more views than that kick's worth to me. That's the business of it. And that shit's changing. So I completely agree. I know this episode went into the business side, but I love, I love the business of marketing. Obviously I love the business of leveraging social media. I just, I love like the power that comes with that. And there's just so much like opportunity out there that I think people are realizing with this. Um, yeah, it's, it's, it's a fun time to be in all of this stuff. It totally is. Well, you mentioned her earlier and I'd be remiss if I didn't bring it up. The Taylor's Taylor Swift is you know, probably going to make an appearance at the Super Bowl. Yeah. And it seems like now the only opinion you can have about it is Taylor Swift is bad for the NFL. She's rooting the game. They're showing her too much or Taylor Swift is great for the game. Bringing on this value, you know, is estimated something like $330 million in perceived media value to the NFL. And there seems like there's no middle ground. Yeah. You only feel really good about it or really bad about it. So Kurt, how do you feel about Taylor Swift in her relation to the NFL? Yeah, dude, this, this is, Look, it's a business and they got to make money. And if someone's making money at the top, it's being funneled down into more opportunity for everybody else. And at the end of the day, dude, for everybody that's bitching about seeing her everywhere, like, and saying, I just want to watch football. I just want to watch the game. You sit your ass there on that couch and watch all the commercials. You watch it all. Like you watch the commercials. Like the NFL is not just about the game. There's a broadcast crew that's there to entertain you. There's like facts and there's a lot of different other jobs, a lot of moving parts. Like you're not there just to watch the game. You're just bitching. If that's what you're saying, like she's good for the value of the NFL. She's good to get new fans involved. Like, like them, hate them, whatever the chiefs, like same thing with the 49ers. You're going to watch the Super Bowl. You're going to enjoy the game. And all of it moves things forward because I just don't think you can play both sides of it. Like, if you wanted to say, I'm just going to watch the game, well, then don't watch the TV broadcast. Wait for the All-22 to drop. Like, because that's what you're saying. So I've seen both sides of it. And look, like, I have publicly hated on the Chiefs this year. I've publicly hated on the Niners this year. I've publicly loved them up when they're doing well. Like, I'm very transparent with my opinions on all of this stuff. And I just think, like, look, man. At the end of the day, she is very happy, and so is Travis Kelsey, and they're just having cameras on them because they're famous people, and mm-hmm. it's a story, and stories sells views, and stories make money, and the NFL, if we know anything at all, is about making its money, and I don't know. I think it's good for the league. We're good. I mean, how many, how many people's wives this year have had more conversations with their husbands about the NFL because of Taylor Swift? Mm-hmm. Guaranteed, like without a doubt. Like My wife has been like an NFL wife for five years and is asking me more questions this year. Like it's just, it's, it's part of it. It's, I find it so fun because I think you're exactly right. I have a fiance who has paid more attention to football this year than she ever has in her entire life. And I, I obviously enjoy talking about football and I have, I have friends and I have you Kurt to talk football with, but you know, when a person I spend a lot of time with also wants to talk about things I'm interested with in, that's great. And if Taylor's, and if Taylor Swift is how she's brought into the fold, it, and I think it's not even so much you like, you know, she just talks to me about Taylor Swift. I think that's a bit reductive. It's like Taylor Swift has now, we talk about context and narrative with destroying, has just like set a narrative in the NFL that's different than here's what happened in the game. Here's who had these many catches and these many yards. It's like there's a, you know, there's a bit of story going on in the NFL that's outside of the game. And I think that's interesting and, and, and compelling for, for everybody. That's a good way to put it. Like story outside of the game. And that's what like, when the Netflix documentary quarterback came out and they're talking about exactly the same thing, like, yes. Oh, who they actually are. Like, what is their home life a little bit more like? And people are starting to share more stuff on social media anyways. That's just the way things are going. But, um, outside of like, dude had 10 catches, a hundred yards. Like one dude had 10 catches, a hundred yards. And like, this is who he is as a person. This one, same thing. He's a little bit different. I like this guy more now versus like, I feel like 
10, 20, 30 years ago, who were the best players? They were my favorite players. Like, where now you're getting to know people and you're getting to see the humanity of it and the human side of it and, like, what these guys go through. And, like, I mean, just, like, two days ago, or, yeah, yesterday, I saw Patrick Mahomes, like, at the end of the game. He had his shirt off in the locker room and he was getting roasted for having a dad bod. He's mm-hmm. on Twitter joking about it. Like, dude, I got kids. Like, come on, man. Like, like that, in my opinion, like, I makes me like Mahomes even more. He's like, you know what I mean? It's just like, not too serious, but like, is a real human, is really good at football. Like, yes, can he be cocky? For sure. Like, anybody that's really good at anything can be cocky about anything. I'm cocky about things. Like, I'm cocky on Twitter. You know what I mean? It's just like, seeing the humanity of people, I think just takes the edge off because I think social media, a lot of people hide behind like their fake profile pictures and like feeling like their opinions need to be heard by a million different people. And I I just, I don't know. I like the storylines because I like how it brings a human element into the sport we love because it is a human's game. I think it's the best version of the sport too. Otherwise you're rooting for laundry and you're rooting for billion dollar corporations that are run by owners who, as we've seen this year and throughout all of NFL history are just kind of shitty people. And if those are the people that you're advocating for, which almost seems like the case when people are anti Taylor Swift or, you know, anti that attention being brought to the NFL, it's like, okay, like who are you rooting for here? Like you're not rooting for the people, which I think we would both agree is what make the game interesting. And it's, it's so fun when you get to know somebody at a deeper level, know a player on a deeper level, or, or at least feel like you do through those shows like quarterback or through players being more active on Twitter or through content like that. That is what the best version of the NFL is in my opinion. Totally dude. I mean, you look at guys like Christian McCaffrey who like he played for the Panthers for a long time and he was one of the best in the league, but wasn't really like seen in the same light he is now because of who he played for the situation he was in. And he didn't really talk a whole lot now. Like I saw him on a podcast recently saying how every Tuesday he still plays Fortnite with his high school friends, Mm. like the best running back in the NFL He's playing Fortnite on his off days to catch up with his friends. Like that humanity of who he is, I think makes it even more easy to be a fan of him for people that don't know him because it's like, ah, like he's kind of like me. Like he's the best at what he does, but like he also looks forward to playing Fortnite with his friends on Tuesday. The humanity side of the NFL, I think, has been something that's been long overdue, like to be like have a light shed on it. And I just think it's cool that one players are going out of their way now to show themselves as humans more so. And now the league is catching up to try to amplify that and, you know, build the storylines. Sure. Well, we might cross paths with Taylor Swift next week because Kurt, you and I will be going to Las Vegas, Vegas. for the Super Bowl. What, what are you most excited for? This is the first time the Super Bowl has been in Vegas, obviously, and I'm sure there will be a lot going on. Yeah. I would say I'm most excited to see like old friends and stuff that I haven't seen in a minute. Um, I'm excited to see people from my agency. There's always a gifting suite at the Super Bowl with my agency. Shout out CAA. Um, they, they always have a bunch of cool brands and partners and stuff that give gifts to athletes uh, in the agency and then like a lot of social media swapping and whatnot. So that's always fun. Like you never know who they got on deck this year. Um, I'm excited to see like, yeah, old teammates, maybe some coaches out there. Everybody's out there at some point in time. Um, and the media row too. Like I went to media row last year going to pop around, do some interviews, do some stuff like that, and just kind of see some faces that last time I was there, I was the player that had just kind of ended it, but was more social media guy into gaming. And now this is my first full year doing analysis breakdowns, like actually sharing football IQ more so than anything. So um, mm-hmm. I'm excited to kind of, you know, play both sides of that. It'll be so much fun. And Hopefully a good you. game to cap it all off. Yeah, we've never yeah. met in person. So that'll yeah. be, that'll be a great. I'm really worried so people say that I come off as short and I'm not, I'm, a, I'm six foot one. So I'm not, I'm not short, come but like a short, damn, I've gotten that before. And I, I don't think people ever mean it as a diss, but I, I never take it well when somebody's like, I thought you're going to be, I didn't think you're going to be this tall is usually what I get. And I'm oh, like, Oh, they're saying you have little man. Like they're saying your personality is little man syndrome. I know. And that really, really rubs me the wrong way. So man. I'm going to set the record straight in Las Vegas next week. Six foot one, put me up against a tape measure. You just got a lot of juice, dude. And sometimes, more often than not, the short guys have more juice. But not yeah. you. You're an outlier. I'm an outlier. Yeah, I feel like short people talk fast. And I feel like I have you a, a, a quicker fast. cadence. And so that doesn't help. So maybe I just need to be a bit more lethargic with how I speak. No, don't change. Okay. Don't change. Mm, try not to. All right. Well, Sweet. I'm excited. Me too, dude. We'll, we'll have good stuff coming next week.
Yeah, this dude, what is this? An hour on the dot. Four, three, two, one, we're out.